Hello and welcome to Marketing in the Raw. That is the podcast and I am the host, Adam Helway. It's my goal to expand how you define the practice of marketing in your vision of where it's headed, especially in a digitally connected world. I'm excited because today I get to talk with a wonderfully smart and funny Kathy Clotes guest. Kathy is a storytelling and creativity strategist, keynote speaker, author, and improv comedian. Her latest book is called Stop Boring Me, How to Create Kick-Ass Marketing Content Products and Ideas Through the Power of Improv. In this interview, she shares with me how to use humor to connect with your customers. We talk about humor's role in marketing and the most common reasons businesses fail to inject humor into their marketing. Let's learn to wield levity and humor in bigger and better ways with help from Kathy Clote's guest. Kathy, um, I'm so glad you joined me and not just because you're on the podcast, but because we just had a test of the technology gods uh, amongst our, our in, in our midst. And if it wasn't for some element of humor, I think um, you or I could have either bailed or this may not have happened or whatever. I'm so glad that you do have a sense of humor. Yeah. That's, well, 2020 is the ultimate test, right? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So we we had some t hard time getting the audio working uh, for for uh, for this uh, interview, but thankfully, uh, Kathy stuck with me and we got it all all set up. I won't say where the issue was or anything like that. <laughs> I won't say it was her fault, but I will not say it was her fault. Not at all, not, not at, at all. all. But I am very glad to talk to you. It's actually. Uh, been uh, quite a while and you know you're another one of those individuals which is like you live not far from me here in the bay area but um the times we see each other is mostly online or at a business event or something like that right that's really true but that's true of our mutual friend bk right i run into him in airports like there was one year like we live literally 10 minutes from each other in the same city and we literally would spend more time at airports going, hey, hey. And when she's talking about his is is Burger King, by the way. That's, that's BK. Right. That's right. That's who exactly that's talking right. You know loves some uh, loves me some BK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 British Knights, which would be a very no. deep cut reference. Uh, that's right. Burrito Kings. Burrito Kings. Burrito Kings out there somewhere. Sorry. <laughs> so so I um I want to talk with you uh, a bit about, uh, well, first, I want to know because I've, I've seen you mm -hmm. at the clubs. You are somebody who has straddled the fence for quite some time, or not straddled the fence, but as much as been in, in, in a world of both comedy and, um, and business for yep. quite some time. Can you tell us a little bit about that so folks understand your cred? Yeah. So I started out... Um, Right after college, right after I graduated college, I started doing comedy six, seven nights a week. Also got a day job in tech. At one point I thought, well, I'll merge the two at some point. I thought, you know, I'm out in the world of business. I'm just gonna bring all this comedy in. The world of business will be open to it. La, 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 nope. <laughs> but it's funny because I kept, I kept with it. I sort of, you know, um, I sort of progressed in my career in Silicon Valley in marketing. And um, at one point, you know, I was a VP of marketing in tech, but I had amassed all this, you know, comedy experience doing, doing standup and, and uh, improv. And so about 15 years into tech, I went, what am I doing here? And I left to start my business, keeping it human, which was to bring sort of the ideas and strategies of like, all right, how do we make business better using principles from comedy and improv? And so I, I you know, I, I think there's a day, there isn't a day that goes by where I don't use some strategic stuff from business and also some things from, from the comedy stage. So that's really it. It's I'm just exciting. Before we go down the business road, I'm I'm really interested again, knowing that you were you're actively uh, participating in an improv troupe, and I've seen you at a comedy club a couple of times. In fact, you got me going to the comedy clubs for like a, few, a handful of times for the first time in many, many years. Um, what are you doing to get your improv fixed these days? So we, so yeah, our, my theater where I perform um, is closed right now, obviously. So I've been doing a lot of Zoom shows and that's a whole thing. You talk about innovation. Like we've had to figure out how do we wipe scenes? How do we start scenes? How do we 
how do we as an improv group communicate to each other when people are watching the show? You know, how do we get them to turn their video off? So we're the focus. How do we shift? How do we do characters? So the really interesting part is it's been an exercise in innovation. And, you know, if you watch, um, you know, some of the early um, Saturday Night Live shows this year where they came back and tried to do a Zoom kind of thing, same thing, but I think it's been a huge opportunity for innovation. So I'd say a lot of Zoom prob, which can be fatiguing, but I'm never, I'm never not fascinated because it talk about a leap of faith. You're, you're having to innovate a whole new genre and way of communicating as improvisers in a whole new space because you don't have the theater. So we have been forced to try new things. Never has there been more empathy from the audience, considering the fact that they all know what the word Zoom means these days, and and uh, they know there's only limited choices, right? So they yeah. give it a little a little bit of rope. We do. We have a lot of saving grace. I think people extend grace because they're like, I get it. It's weird. We're all trying to learn, and and it's funny. Some of the mistakes are just the mistakes that improvisers have are exactly like being in a Zoom call. <laughs> talking over each other, the delays. And I think it humanizes everything. And it's been, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, for sure. Well, how does humor help businesses connect with their customers? Yeah. You know, it's so funny that we always talk a big game in marketing. Oh, we're going to humanize and we're going to do this and we're going to use more humor. And I think we all buy into the idea and then we get afraid. And the thing that is so fundamental to remember at every level of the journey and in business is, you know, the other person on the other side of, you know, what, if we're selling, if we're talking, if we're exploring whether or not it's a good fit, if it's a prospect, if it's a, already a customer, an employee, that person has needs and wants and they're a, hu they're a human, they have their own stories. And it's no different from storytelling on a stage. You know, they don't exist for you, the business, so you can sell your crap to them. They have their own lives, their own wants or aspirations. And so humor has always been a part of that. And I think to me, humor is how we, we connect, but it's bigger than that. I, I fear too many businesses use it as a gimmick. Everyone's like, hey, Kathy, let's create a campaign. And I'm like, let's not, because you really suck and you don't treat your employees well and you have very bad customer service. So let's fix that so that we don't put frosting on a turd cake. We actually have a good cake <laughs> with some good frosting. So humor can do amazing things, but it will never compensate for bad service, bad mojo, bad branding, all that other stuff. Yeah. What, so what, what marketing channels would you say lend themselves best? I mean, I think humor can be injected into a lot of different things in a lot of different yep. ways. But like when it comes to folks like saying, yeah, we're gonna dip our toes into this first, where's a like a, a medium that, uh, or channel that really lends itself well to starting to inject humor? I would say actually any medium is up for game, but I would start by actually like maybe working with your sales team or your employees and get them on board, get them on board. So t test some stuff internally and see how it does, get some feedback internally. I would start small before you start to go, let's do a campaign where we spend six months and do this blah, 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 spend a ton of money. Start testing things small on Twitter. Start testing small things on LinkedIn. Start putting stuff up on your homepage and um, on your Facebook, company Facebook page. Have, you know, fr you know, Funny Friday. Test a new meme or a new image or a new video. Start small. I, I think the biggest mistake that companies make is that, you know, if you're thinking the first thing you're going to do is go out there and take six months and go engage a big branding agency and spend a ton of money on a, you know, six month rollout only to find out that it's a horrible idea. <laughs> like, like, you know, test small, fail small. Try Probably better to do that big thing when you've got the, some wheels under you and you understand yeah. the tolerance level. Go see what works. Try small experiments. Here's the thing. No big deal. If you try something on your Facebook page, you try something on your company Twitter account and it, it goes well, great. You know it worked. If it doesn't, no big deal. No one's going to remember. Try something the next time. So I would say if you're not experimenting with your social channels, what are you waiting for? Like this is the era of experimentation. It's 2020. Like everything's up for grabs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, what are your favorite 
can you give me like a favorite example for you where somebody uh, maybe a little unexpected leveraged some humor and you're like, you know, that, that, that really worked or that really connected in some way that made me pay attention. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think there's a lot of, I wish I could say there's more B2B brands. I really wish I could say that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's more B2C brands out there doing it. Um, you know, I give, I give, uh, you know, uh, Burger King some, uh, street cred. I think Steakums does a fun job. I think SodaStream does some fun job jobs because they understand that humor isn't just a, a marketing gimmick to customers. You know, SodaStream does some funny employee videos. Um, there's a lot of ways to use humor and use it internally and then say to the world, this is who we are. This is our culture. Um, yeah, I wish I could see the one thing I, I always get asked is how about B2B? And honestly, I wish I could say B2B is better, but it just doesn't seem to be. There's a few software companies, um, but there's just not a lot. I wish I could Do you think that B2B. that's usually because yeah. again of that that potential? And I say again, meaning I think you and I have heard this before where there's this somehow there's this line between humans that end up doing B2B business and there's humans that do B2C business and that they're that in the relatively speaking, they're the same human beings. So the same human beings that are in the software company working are the same folks that are like going out and buying a pizza or, or, or getting, you know, burgers or whatever. So the, the, there's a little bit of that. You know, we got to be buttoned up and professional and maybe the walls are kind of crumbling around that these days, considering the, level of vulnerability we have now with um, uh, the pandemic and stuff. Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, it is starting to crumble. I think people are realizing, wow, a company's made up of people and people are working from home and they're scared and they're, they're anxious, just like us. Um, I also think there's two, the, wa the walls are really different. I think B2C is more, we, we think of individuals differently. We shouldn't see it differently in B2B. I also think there's more creativity by committee in B2B, which kills funny. Nothing kills funny than like, you know, getting a bunch of lawyers together in a room. <laughs> and I think that's the problem is we've got to streamline. It's interesting. You know, I talked to a lot of B2B social media teams and the layers, the hurdles in front of them, Adam, to be able to roll out small campaigns. If we killed those hurdles and gave people more autonomy, we said to your social team, all right, um, you know, what if we gave you uh, three days a week to roll out small little experiments? No questions asked. Do you know how much more we get done? Do you know how much more we'd learn? Do you know how much faster they'd get up the curve? But everything is done by committee. And I think that is killing creativity in B2B. It, it sounds like you feel that like marketing communications, specifically also in the realm of like content and social media is probably from a from a, a sort of team and department standpoint the epicenter for being able to be creative and inject humor into how they're expressing things on behalf of the business. See, and that and that's another thing I would challenge. I, I say challenge all assumptions right now because I think I think too often it's been, well, we're marketing, we own creativity. Oh, really? <laughs> and I think I would challenge that notion. You know, you probably have really funny storytellers outside of marketing in your business. In fact, you know, in my experience, some of the best storytellers I've ever met didn't come from marketing. And they might be in customer service or they're in sales or they're in engineering and they just happen to be really great storytellers. And I would say, go find those people and get out of their way. Let them try some experiments. That's the biggest issue is I think marketing thinks it owns everything. And I understand marketing is sort of the check, but marketing can kill value as much as it can create it. And I honestly think right now, mar we need to stop marketing so hard. Why does marketing suck so bad? Marketers are the worst thing to happen to marketing. <laughs> and I think maybe this pandemic will teach people to back off a little bit and to recognize that, look, man, we're all struggling. If we're all humans struggling to get through this, and it's not just you on a in a business capacity. And if my gosh, when are we going to finally learn that lesson? Well, it, would you say also that um, on that note, 
marketers are trying to sell too too much. They're they're trying and and what they're what they're missing out on is just sim- the simple small opportunities to create relationships. Um, would you what would you say? Simple, a hundred percent. Yeah. Every- yeah. Like, why does everything have to be a marketing campaign? The marketing campaign cycle is too long. Um, get rid of it. Look at day-to-day interactions on, on social media. Can we make people laugh? Fast Company uh, does some fun stuff. Um, can we make people smile on a daily basis, even with silly, you know, with silly, you know, uh, you know, tweets? Can we not take ourselves too seriously? Um, you know, I got into it with uh, like, you know, Cheez-Its and Cheese Whiz and, um, and, and mayo, because I said I didn't like mayonnaise and, uh, you know, um, uh, you know. Uh, On Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. And they were having a great old time with me. I mean, engaged brands. You know, when you get a tweet like that, be human and poke fun at yourself and have some fun with it, right? Um, uh, yeah, you know, I, it's, I think those little wins are opportunities to do that. It doesn't have to be this big old campaign that you wait six months to show a, a smile daily. You gotta, re- we gotta rethink the wiring here. We also well, have to tra- train people to do that. I was going to say it, it's yeah. part of your point as well, I think is right now we're definitely in an overstressed stage as an entire society. And the last thing, the, the thing people would love more than anything is stuff that in it, that, that, that is inspirational and funny and uplifting and, and, and has mm-hmm. some levity and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's a, there's a, there's a line sometimes that can be drawn. Like you said, when, when folks are getting a little bit too, uh, you use the right word, I think gimmicky, uh, in, in a way, yeah. but, um, but it doesn't take much. There's a subtleness in, in, in many cases to humor. It doesn't have to be explosive, you know, rolling on the floor, laughing humor. And in, in a lot of cases, unless you really understand how to make that work, you're yeah. probably taking a risk at that point, I think. You're taking a big risk and you have no credibility. It's sort of like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, imagine the, 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 a brand or imagine a person like the unfunniest person, you know, like Bob in accounting. I don't know why Bob is always my, just so Bob's a nice guy. Bob's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Nice guy, but he's, you know, and you know, and all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, he's like going to be the joke, you know, doing jokes at a party and you know, some of them might bomb. And I think what we need to get Bob to understand is maybe in his day-to-day interactions, he can deliver a smile or make people laugh. And in the meetings, he can lighten up a little bit. Then all of a sudden, when Bob goes to be funny, we're like, oh yeah, Bob's a good guy. He always makes me smile on a daily basis. There's a believability and a credibility and a runway that you have grace because you've been doing it small little things that make people smile, not this big campaign. When you do fail, your customers are like, man, of the time they get it right. And I think we have to start thinking about building that kind of credibility runway. It can't just be that every six months we try a campaign that's funny because then it's like, well, I'm sorry, the other, you know, five months before the campaign came out, you, you were awful. So like, it can't be disconnected from the brand, right? So we got to stop thinking less like campaigns and we have to start thinking small, everyday baby steps, make people smile. What is, you may have already touched upon this to some extent, but what is the most common reason that marketing fails at injecting humor? Like what is just the like, yeah, this is fear. Fear, fear. fear. The number one reason they scared. <laughs> People scared. Now they're scared. What if I fail? What if I get judged? What if we screw up? What if there are like a million reasons that, that creativity by committee talks itself out of doing anything? And the only reason, is, there's only one reason that's good enough to, to try, which is, well, what if? What if we tried it? And, and I think it doesn't happen overnight. If you haven't given your people permission every week to try little experiments, they don't work up the nerve and the muscle and the confidence to try the bigger things. You don't just go from zero to 60. You got you to gotta do the baby steps. And I think the single biggest mistake is, we just, you know, we expect these big things out of big, big, you know, campaigns, but, you know, then we got nothing the rest of the year. So what if we stood through that out and just 
gave people permission to try new things to see what worked. I mean, how hard would it be to just like do a funny contest on Twitter? How hard would it be to like, hey, send us your funny memes? Like our CEO's turning 50. Hey, start, finish this joke, you know, whatever. And, and you know, have something fun and like, how hard would that be? Nothing, I mean, it would make you seem accessible. It's very low risk. You're getting people to create content for you. You got to stop thinking less like a six month campaign, right? And that's the biggest mistake because that's where the fear comes in. Now we've built it up to like, oh, we spent all this money. We spent all this money. What a bunch of horse crap. What if we just did this every day and lightened up and had our call center um, be silly? You know, like how cool would it be to be, interact with people on Twitter that if you made a typo, they they laughed back with you and ha ha ha. You know what I mean? I mean, that would that would make you smile on a daily basis. So we we're overthinking it. We're looking at it the wrong way and we're too damn scared. We don't make it safe to fail. Make it safe to fail small, small little things. Yeah. Can you relate to this from a comedian's in 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 in, in improv yeah. perspective in the sense of you starting off and the feelings that you had when you were starting yeah. to go, oh, let me connect with my funny and but oh crap. This were there some things in your head that you started to maybe overthink or maybe you didn't overthink, you maybe oh, you just yeah. plowed forward. Overthinking is the enemy of anything good. <laughs> Because <laughs> once you go down that rabbit hole of what if, oh my God, they're going to judge me. You talk yourself out of it. I think the other big thing that I think not so much in standup, but in improv, improv builds a safe space for people to not be judged. You the know? safe and space is a big, that's big a big, thing. big, big thing. thing. And so yeah. when, when I work with teams, it's like, how do we take those improv principles of like, have each other's backs. We're going to yes hand each other's ideas. There is no bad idea. Every mistake is a gift. And these are principles that allow us to get crazy on stage because we don't judge each other. What? How do we bring these into a team and practice these principles? Because can you imagine, Adam, you and I right here, right now, if we made it safe for people in a team to come up with crazy, because no matter how crazy their idea, it wouldn't be wrong. How game-changing would that mindset be? Well, I, I I know for a fact because because uh, so our our team has grown tremendously in the last um, this this year, in fact, which is amazing yeah. considering the pandemic, and that is one of the things that we talk about a lot is is that the reason that safe space mm-hmm. got me is because that's what we describe it is yeah. it's a safe place that as long as we're having adult conversations, if you got to or if you want to put ideas out and all that, you should be able to do so, yeah. and. You know, uh, it, it it pays off in spades. Not all ideas are going to be good, and, and most probably aren't. But in the end, that's not what matters. What matters is you're never going to uncover them. You're never going to take a chance of uh, like. There, there's a very much the status quo, especially in the B two B world, and that's why I think that uh, in addition to to what you were saying that that folks don't dip their toes nearly as much onto the humor side on the B two B is there's the status quo that feels safe. And it's not, it's so safe that you become just like everybody else um, in, in a big way. And you're not necessarily, you're associated with it, what it means to be buttoned up and and and, and uh, professional, I say, sort of with sarcasm versus being, uh, you know, what I know you're all about. It's it's keeping it human and connecting yeah. to your customers and, and, and those sorts of things. Um, I want to, I want to uh, ask you, we talked about sort of where people can fail if there was a time, you know, there's those few times here and there when I think of things like social media communications where you might be marketing yourself in a particular way and then something happens. It might be a world event. It might be something that's happening with you and your customers. It might be something else. But you just go, oh, we got to just stop everything at the moment. Now is not the time to be to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Is there just like an, a, just a black and white, this is when you should not, just don't, don't use humor in, in this situation. Just full stop. Yeah, you know, it. There are some there are some black and white kind of gradations, and then there's a whole lot of gray. So, for example, um, you know, this this um, April Fool's Day of 2020, everybody agreed. Eh, it's just bad taste to do it, and I think that's sort of a universal. I mean, it's not very funny. Ha ha ha! You know, pranks when people are losing their jobs, people are dying. That yep. trivializes it. Now, I think that was a good call. That's a black and white. That's a fairly black and white thing. But yep. let's also not forget that human beings need to laugh. And 
some of the kindest things we can do is remind each other that we are connected and small humor, not selling anything, checking in on each other, maybe poking fun at yourself when you have a credible brand, yes. Maybe poking fun at all the silly things that happened because of the pandemic. You're not making fun of the pandemic, but you're making fun of like the Zoom calls, the, the dad and mom that are working in the same office that are ready to kill each other. <laughs> that, like, you know what I mean? Because they see each other 24 seven now. The kid that's like, now all of a sudden you're a part-time teacher, right? Have you, so, have, you seen the, have you seen the gal that does herself from the future warning her about the things that are happening in the pandemic? No. Oh, this is, it, I'd never seen her before. And I guess she's had a YouTube channel for a while. I wish I knew what her name was. And I'm sure some of the listeners will, will, will know, but she's, she, it's just, she does these little one person comedy things. Sometimes she'll have a couple people and she started doing this one where it's like her and she did it way back at the beginning of the pandemic. So she's done like two and three because other things have happened in this, in this year to, to yeah. that were notable. And yeah. she starts to go, Oh, I'm your future. You I'm from the year 2023 or 25 or whatever. And she goes, Oh, that's awesome. Tell me about what's happening. And, and then her future self's like, can you like, you know, and she starts to tell her these things that are very, um, cryptic because she doesn't want to tell her what's actually happening yeah. but she's like hey can you get a beekeeper's outfit and she's like what are you talking about and it has to do with all the news about the murder hornets when they were coming out you know she's like just don't worry just get a beekeeper's outfit and then she's talking about it, it's just it, it's funny and it's relatable because everybody's experiencing the same thing yeah. um and that's definitely one of those like hey this this doesn't feel like it's making fun of the pandemic it feels like it's taking and injecting just the right relatable amount of humor into the thing the thing that we're all experiencing together exactly and if you aim the humor at the universal you your the risk is very low because we're all dealing with this stuff if you aim it at you know trying to, do deep, wrong... trying to do a deep cut yeah don't do a deep cut don't do a deep cut on like you know social commentary unless you know you're experienced at satire i mean it, it can go so so if you make fun of the things like man if i was zoom i would be hiring comedians right and left to make fun of my product why because zoom's got they're credible they're making tons of money they're helping us during a pandemic. It's a, it's becoming a, a product we all rely on. It's got huge amounts of brand elasticity and credibility, but let's face it, we all have Zoom fatigue. I mean, can you imagine like send us your craziest Zooms or like having comedians get on there and make fun of the product? That would be golden right now. We would all get a laugh because you're not making fun of anybody. You're making fun of the, the silly stuff every day. So if that if that's the mindset, when you look at what's the common thing every day, the mundane, you can't go wrong because you're not making fun of anybody. You're not making fun of the fact that, you know, this is a horrible um, trying period. You're, you're just trying to find the human in the everyday drudgery. If you can do that, my God, you're golden. I mean, hell yeah. I mean, I made a video of like wearing jeans for the first time in eight months. And I was like danced around with my jeans. And I don't know if you saw that. I put it on my Facebook and people were like dying. I was like, it was like me cut two. I'm like, friend, I've missed you. Shh, shh, let me go first. I've missed you. And then you cut two and I'm talking to a pair of jeans, right? <laughs> like, no, it's totally, totally, totally relatable. And that's one of the things that's you know, one of the, I don't want to say the benefit of the pandemic, but the, the, the share, the fact that we're doing, uh, we're, we're have a shared experience. Yeah. It's an amazing opportunity to do, to connect even more with, with people as human beings, not an opportunity to capitalize on people's sorrow or, or yeah. struggle, but yeah. it's an opportunity to, to, to connect more with those human elements of what we've got going on. Correct. And not use it as a chance to make money, which is crass, but a chance to connect. It, it, the uh, the the other thing that you were just describing, it, there's a lot to be. You have to build a lot on the em empathy and observational muscles, right? Because oh. as you're going around throughout things all day, you 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 people in a way are kind of running on autopilot or they're doing their thing. You have to be observationally well aware to go. Oh, that 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 would be funny to sort of do this and dig Everything. into this a bit. Everything, yeah. Think days changed i mean to me a traffic jam is like when all three of us in my house are trying to get to the bathroom at the same time <laughs> that's my morning commute right i mean think about just 
how all your life has changed because of the pandemic. You, you, you live together, you and your husband, so it's you again, you know? Um, like I did a little video where it's like all of a sudden, like, you know how like you're so used to having your mic and your headset? What would it be like if like you had your mic and your headset on at dinner and in the bedroom with your partner? Because like, you know, all the things because we heighten, take the everyday things that have changed because we're no lot, we're working at home and living at home, eating at home and kids are at school at home, heighten those crazy everyday things. Those are perfect little things. So you're right, hone your observation, what's different? You know, to me, it's like, you know, my husband and I tease each other. It's like, oh, it's you again. Like we bump in, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like all of a sudden it's like- Fancy meeting you here. Yeah, fancy meeting you here. You know, it's the traffic jam in the morning. It's the, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, me and the, you know, I'm, I'm living in Lululemons. I think I, you know, literally wore jeans for the first time, eight, you know, two weeks ago after eight months. Take, take those things out. And those are things that everybody will relate to. Or, you know, the, the COVID-19, everyone's gaining the 19 pounds. Um, just to have fun with those. Those are just, yeah, if you can do that, you're right. So go through your day and what has changed from pre-COVID to now, before COVID, after COVID. And do a compare and contrast, and all of that is great fodder for just levity. Yeah. Yeah, that and that 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 empathy muscle again, right? It, it, I think it can be one of the one of the harder skills for folks to initially yeah. um, get, and that has a lot to do with relatability. And uh, again, right, shared experience. I mean, how many times in your life, maybe one, if, if not even say if you're lucky, because it's not what it's, it has nothing to do with the luck right now. It's unfortunate, but can, can most of the world sort of feel like they get it? They, I, I get it. It doesn't matter where in the world you are. You could say this thing or that thing. And yeah. I've probably experienced it in some, in some way over the last, you know, nine months. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, if you can just, if you can come from that place and this is, this is the thing, if, if a brand is making it about themselves and centering themselves in the experience, they've got it wrong. Center other people, center the human experience right now. Um, if you can center what it's like to be trying to like work from home, uh, all of a sudden you're a part-time school teacher. You know, the mom's keeps changing like Superman. All of a sudden she's a teacher. All of a sudden she goes in for got a phone call all while wearing, wearing, you know, shorts. Cause she's like, you know, and like, if you can center that truth, the truth for your customer, what is the daily truth? You will never go wrong, but you've got to operate from not centering yourself as the brand but centering the truth of the daily experience of the people that you want to talk to, then you're golden. I love that. I love that. I wanted to ask you as um, someone who's, who's and you know, you're an, you're a seasoned improv uh, mm -hmm. professional here. And, and I, I don't, I'm not an improv person and I've always wanted to go to um, a class and do it. Cause I think, I, I think I told you long time ago, I was like, ah, I'd love to do some stand up Cause I just, I love making people laugh and I love, comedy and I see it definitely as an art, but I, I, I was wondering, do you believe in, I always think of things like when we talk on this show about innovation and creativity and, you know, humor and, and empathy and all these things that I think one of the first things a lot of folks do is just simply say, yeah, I don't have that skill. Or I, I, I don't have that muscle. Do you feel that improv is only for the quick-witted to, to, to suddenly build that skill up? Or is there a place for one to start to learn to be a better improviser in, in business or in life? Oh, absolutely. I, I really do not believe that it's the purview of the special. Um, I think it's everybody. I really believe everyone can be better. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I started improv, so I, I first started um, right after college, I jumped into stand-up. And I'd stand up for five years before I even did improv. And I was doing, I was in LA and I was doing uh, like comedy store and stuff like that. And people were like, you're a people person. You would do really good with improv. And most comics hate people. So you should go try improv. And I did. And it, the very first year I did it, Adam, it was really hard for me because stand up, I'm always thinking, well, what's a punchline? And I'm writing and I'm constantly writing, but you can't be in your head and improv. You've got to be listening for offers and you can't be like, ah, you got to. And so, yeah, it took me a while to adapt from thinking arc and story scripts to being in the gut, in my gut and in the moment. 
honestly, anyone can get better. I've seen it happen. I teach. I teach in business. I also teach pure improv, um, and in you know uh, in in the theater. And honestly, I've seen people take it for no other reason than I'm an engineer. I want to get better with people. I've seen people say, I need better customer service skills. I need to know how to yes and people better. I'm always yes budding people. Can you explain the yes and? I I, I, sure. I know that you've you've talked about this a bit and I, I sure. love that. Sure, and so anyone can do it. Well, yes and, so yes and, there's a lot of rules. Um, uh, there's a lot of rules, it gets kind of, there are and there aren't. So improv doesn't have a whole lot of rules, but in the beginning when you're learning it, it's overwhelming because the rules are there to train you. Then as you grow in improv, you don't need to follow as many rules, but the center rule, the one rule that you cannot break early on in improv is yes and. Because yes and allows us to, you know, somebody will make an offer like, you know, I come on stage, I'm a mom and somebody comes else on stage and says, oh, you're a werewolf. Well, guess what? Now, yes and, I am a werewolf mom. <laughs> I'm a werewolf. It's a full moon tonight, of honey. Just make sure you dress appropriately. Take your jacket. It's going to be cool. Don't rip it again. I just bought you a new one. So whatever offer somebody gives you, you've got to be able to integrate that and yes and and add on to what you're building. And if you can't do that very simple thing, the scene falls apart because now it's like, well, I know I'm a mom, not a werewolf. No, you are. So what happens in business is you know, yes, and is the language of customer service. Oh, yes, and I see you weren't happy with this product and I'm here to fix it. Let's figure out a way to move forward and make you happy. Yes, and is all about the customer. There's no difference. So I think if you can master being a yes, and person, I swear to you, you can be an improviser because on the business stage, we're all improvisers. We're having to improvise every day. 2020 has taught me nothing or you nothing. Every one of us has had to improvise. We had to yes and the situation that we got. We couldn't argue. I'm sorry. I had a plan for COVID. I'm sorry. I don't accept that. No, COVID didn't care. You had to yes and, <laughs> right? And I think we are all having to remind ourselves every day that we are improvisers. It's in our DNA. It's in our human wiring. We just have to remember in business that the more that we hear each other out, I don't have to build what you, what, you know, whatever comes of our creativity session, but if I yes and you, you feel heard, now you're more likely to give your best ideas and we can move, we can move things forward. So if, if humans could learn nothing else, I think improv really teaches us to be yes, yes and people, not people pleasers, but yes anding when it makes sense, yes. Well, there's an interesting element of that, and and I want to recognize that you're not specifically only talking about in this in in the in the sense of humor, right? We're we're talking about we're talking about communication all the way around, and um, because improv is not it it can be a solo sport, but it's not a solo sport a lot of the times if you're working with a troupe, and and that's what you're really you know talking about in that sense. But I recognize that I've been trying to do this with um you know my team and and a couple of folks on my team. We've been trying to do this back where, um, we'll share all this great stuff. Somebody will go, oh yeah, this idea, and we got to do this, and blah da 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 da, and then like somebody might share that with me, and I'll agree with what they have to say. But I will have listened to them and then I'm ready to share something back because of something they sparked. And I find that that more often than not, because you're ready to jump in with your your input on it or, or your idea that even though you've heard what they have to say and you agree what they have to say or there's some element of it that's really good, there's no acknowledgement that happens first before you now take that step and go, yeah, I, I agree. And, and so what you're saying just at least resonated with me in the sense that, that, that it being just as simple as saying yes, as a way of acknowledging what the person said and then going, and, and there's an element of that that shows that what you're doing is acknowledging what they said. You heard what they said. You, there's a positive affirmation of what they said and you're building on something that they've contributed to with the with the addition with your follow-up with what you're going to be talking about and i think that that's a um i'm gonna i'm gonna try that a little bit because i've been all of our teammates it's funny because we know there's we, we take the ego out of the conversation and we say uh, yeah i'm trying to do that too and all that but and so it's never one of those things where somebody goes yeah you didn't acknowledge what i said it's usually 
I understand I'm trying to do better and all this sort of stuff when we move on, it's not a big deal. But I think that that's a really interesting way to frame it so mm -hmm. that um, it can be acknowledged in a positive way. And then we can move on to the rest because um, th there's something special about being able to you're working with somebody at that point. You're not you're you're not working against them or 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 sort of in a vacuum, I guess you might say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really the magic of collaborative creativity is that it's not my idea plus your idea. It's exponential at that point because now you say something and that triggers something that I now go, oh, yes, and we could add this. And then you say, yes, and we could add that. Now we've heightened and we've gotten to a place where we would not have gotten, but for the fact that we got together and created it together. And that's the magic. It's the exponential part of it versus I'm going to, I want my idea. That's your idea. And we're going to glue it to get, no, we're going to create something together because we heard each other. And that's really the magic that if we yes anded each other more, we would actually hear people's ideas. And there's a lot of brilliance that would not be left on the table like we do now, if we actually heard people. I love that. Uh, and, and it's very much in contrast, for instance, to just simply going, and how about, or, you know, like just starting in on, on your stuff. I, I love that. I'm going to try to practice that a bit more in uh, my communication, especially with my team and with, with my clients. Yeah. So here is like, this is the, um, the big money question here, mm. Kathy, this is like yeah. the most important question mm. of anything we talked about. Like everything here is pale in comparison to what I'm about to ask you. And it'll be, it'll be the last question. Okay. You, you ready me. to go? Hit me. Okay. Who's your favorite comedian of all time? Oh, that's a tricky one. I didn't think you'd, I didn't think you'd be able to pinpoint somebody, to be honest. I thought you were going to share a breadth of folks. I, I, it is a breadth of folks, but I will tell you, Carol Burnett is what growing up, I would watch the reruns with my dad. And I remember that was the first time I'd seen a woman have her own show and a female uh, comic, uh, own her show, produce her show, eponymous, her name, her name on the show, the Carol Burnett show. And I went, that's huge. That was huge as a little, as a, as a, as a, as a little girl, that, that representation, right? Yep. And I went, wow, that's magic. And then as I got older, um, gosh, I would say, you know, um, Rita Rudner, um, Paula Poundstone. I love Joan Rivers because she was groundbreaking. Phyllis Diller was groundbreaking. She didn't even start comedy till she was a single mom with five kids in her in her late thirties. Um, wow! You know, um, Moms Mabley, um, African American female comic, brilliant, funny. Um, my gosh, today I think you know I think Dave Chappelle. Nobody does race jokes better than Dave Chappelle because um, Dave understands it and makes us look at the uncomfortable. He takes the truth and makes us look at it. Dave Chappelle's brilliant. Um, uh, gosh, I, I think um, Wanda Sykes is brilliant. Uh, Chris Rock makes me laugh. Chris Rock is another guy like Dave Chappelle who calls attention to the really, really hard stuff and forces us to look at it and laugh at it. Um, you know, I think, uh, my gosh. Um, just so many. I mean, there's so much talent out there. So my my comedic uh, comedic tastes are all over the map. Like I like I like the hard stuff. I like the fun stuff, like Ellen. But you know, I can go from listening to Ellen to watching Dave Chappelle, and I'm howling at both because they're different. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think lately, I'd say the last couple of really good specials I watched were, you know, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, um, made me laugh really hard, made me think, and that's the thing. I like my comedy to not just make me laugh. I like it to make me think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Are, are Is there anybody, maybe somebody you've already mentioned that you feel is just grossly underrated? I mean, it seems these days that there are so many people on yeah. Netflix giving getting an hour special here and, yeah. you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a lot of folks that I... Uh, like, for instance, Joey Coy. I never really heard his, oh, I think that's yeah, his yeah, name, yeah. right? So, like, his stuff is funny to me. I, I think there's yeah. a certain there's a certain energy that that folks like Joey and Maz Jabrani have yeah, yeah, that yeah. there's just like frenetic energy that seems so solid. It's almost like a, it's almost like 
just to dab a Robin Williams, just to dab a Robin Williams. Yes. I, and I, yes. And Robin Williams was genius. And I saw him years ago at the purple onion, uh, in San Francisco years ago. Um, yeah, you know, I, all those comics are great. You know, Moz, I love Moz. I think he's so brilliant and it translates in American as well as, you know, uh, in the Middle East. I mean, he's just got that, he's just so facile. Um, I love Joe Coy. I think, yeah, there's a lot of comics I'd like to see get their own special. Um, I, you know, um, uh, Gabe Iglesias, um, mm. Gabriel Iglesias, Fluffy. He always makes me laugh. I think he was understated for a long time. I think he's very, very funny. He's a master at a lot of things um, in impersonations and he makes me laugh. His impersonations are just, you know, genius. Um, Chris Redd from SNL is understated. He needs his own special. Chris Redd mm. is genius. Um, Betsy Sotaro. And these are all people who have improv training, I will add, um, because improv training makes your makes your comedy better, gives you better stage presence. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of um, comics that I, I would love to see get their own special. I'd like to see more women. I'd like to see continue to see more diversity. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm down for whatever comedy specials. Uh, let's let's take away comedy specials from comics that behave badly and give it to people <laughs> who deserve it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I would add one more person just because it was one of those comedians that I don't remember how I discovered him, but it was after I discovered him and went, whoa, I really love this style that I found out, unfortunately, that he had passed away. Mitch Hedberg. Oh, yeah. Mitch was... Uh, Oh, he, he has a very, at least yeah. to me, it was a very different yeah. style of comedy. Yeah. And it was a style that when you listen, it, it's my kind of thing where when you listen to it, you, because, and I forgot where I had heard this, but it was, it, it's, it's talking about like essentially um, the chemistry in people and, 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 and uh, uh, what do they call it? evolutionary biology and psychology and yeah. so on. And, and that laughing is a, physical and evolutionary reaction to surprise to to not to suddenly being surprised by something and yeah. that and that and more often than not when you when you know that and then you start to pay attention to when you laugh you realize like oh there is always almost always an element of surprise related to that that's why a punchline that's well done or a joke that's constructed and has you looking left that suddenly comes from the right yeah. is so is so powerful and Mitch Hedberg would do this stuff that just would be so out of left field. And then he'd put it in, in a package that because of the way he delivered it, you were like, did he just tell a joke? And then you think about what he said and you go, Oh, that's funny because it was so sort of surprising and yeah. suddenly hit you. Yeah. He was brilliant. He reminded me a little bit cause it was funny and it, it, it took you a minute he reminded me a little bit of Stephen Wright, and I was a big fan of Stephen Wright's because um, I think Stephen Wright had that dry delivery that was kind of fun. It was smart, and yeah, Mitch Hedberg's stuff was smart. Um, yeah, he had he had a joke about irony, and I'm gonna ruin. I don't remember the setup, but I don't want to. Um, I don't want to ruin it. But go go Google uh, um, his stuff and plus irony, and he's got a whole bit on it, and it's just it's like. I never would have thought of ironing that way. And he's right. <laughs> it's And it's all really like observational humor. Yeah. Where he takes it and yeah. he just tweaks it enough where it sounds like he's he's literally just telling you how he feels. And then you realize that, that he's made this twist that's a joke. But because you're familiar with it, it, it's, it hits you with that surprise laugh. It does. And sometimes it's just calling it out. I mean... It's just, you know, yeah. Start with just like, what are the crazy things you notice every day? I mean, you know, like I, the other day it hit me. It's like, everybody's at the store and wearing masks. And I think to myself, how does anybody flirt? Like, you don't know what you're getting. <laughs> like, like you see the eyes, but like, what are you really getting? Like, can you even tell? Like, like, like you could be smiling, not smiling. Everybody had their masks on the other day. Somebody... Um, at a birthday party and they went and took a picture and I was like how do you know if they're smiling the, you know it's like just little little things that I think um in this can you imagine dating 
dating in a COVID world where everyone wears masks. All of their, although all of their profiles have their mask on. Exactly. So You're you, like, yeah. oh, right. Oh, left. I don't like the way that mask looks. I mean, what are you judging? And like, if you can think about these crazy little things, everyday things, and then ask, well, what would be weird about that? Then it just becomes an ingrained um, skill. It becomes a yeah. muscle, just a muscle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. Kathy, um, you're awesome sauce. And uh, I can't wait until we can all one way or another get out there and, and start enjoying going to a comedy club again and, you know, doing other stuff um, out there. Where can people learn more about you and stay connected with you? Sure. Um, you can reach me at keepingithuman.com. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook. Uh, the next week I'll be off Facebook for a while, Sancation. Uh, but I like to post vignettes and, and different jokes and stuff. Facebook is kind of my playground. I use Twitter for a lot of jokes as well, at Kathy Close Guest. Um, and I post videos and things like that on, uh, on LinkedIn as well. So follow, follow me on all the socials. On all the socials. Uh, thank you so much. We definitely need some uh, some levity and humor these days more than any other time. And uh, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. So we appreciate your your advice and insights. Anytime. Thank you so much. Woohoo! You made it to the end of the podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you for spending time with me and the Marketing in the Raw podcast. Uh, again, my name is Adam Helway, and uh, I am just going to continue to work hard at getting more and more of these shows out to you. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe. And if you've already subscribed, you are incredible, and I love you. And if you haven't, you should be ashamed of yourself. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to guilt you into subscribing, but it would be awesome if you would. And uh, if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a review and a rating wherever it is that you listen to podcasts that helps so many other people find us. And then last but not least, if you'd like to talk about marketing, if you need help with anything you got going on or just simply want to connect, you can go ahead and email me at adam at secretsushi.com uh, or you could just go to secretsushi.com and check out what we're doing. Okay, take care. <music>